step back from that ledge, my friend. You could it's a tough podcast today. There's no question about it. Black Sunday. Bearcats lose. Muskies lose. Quite possibly the worst Sunday in the history of Cincinnati sports. And we've seen some terrible Sundays. Hey, misery loves company, so join us here on the podcast. We'll talk all about it. We'll get through this together. Hey, the Sweet 16 is set. Our updated Final Four picks. We'll look back at our hot takes, what we got right, what picks went wrong. Honestly, we didn't do too bad. You probably have a top-notch bracket if you listen to our takes. And with one season over, another is set to begin. Hopefully this song should not be playing in the background right now. Reds baseball is right around the corner. We talk with Reds double-A broadcaster Tommy Thrall. It's coming up on Queen City Chatter. But first, let me tell you about Awakenings Coffee. We'll be quick here. Two phenomenal locations, Old Montgomery Road, right down the street from Montgomery Inn, and then conveniently located in Hyde Park Square, just a few doors down from Graders. They sell fantastic coffee that's locally roasted, and the best part about it, if you're like us, they sell wine. And I'll tell you what, the, the wine part is a fa- fantastic add-on to that. But It's I'm, a great combo. Have you ever tried mixing them? I always do. It's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's tough not to have a smile on your face with a nice cup of joe with just a sprinkle of wine. Awaken yourself at Awakenings. That's Awakenings Coffee, two locations, Old Montgomery Road and Hyde Park Square. How about our Instagram? No posts yet, but you should give it a little follow at Queen City Chatter because we're going to have good stuff there at some point. It's just a matter of when. We both work very rigorous jobs. It's tough. This podcast, um, it's a long drive to the studio after work. Uh, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. Hudson's still working on his uh, transformer stand over there. But at some point, we're going to try to grow this thing, and we need to do it together. We need your help. Spread the word. We need you. We need you. We really do. We need you to to you know follow the Instagram, and you need to, to throw a five star. Don't throw us a five star. Don't, How don't about be subscribe selfish. and give us the most ridiculous comment you got about how great this podcast is? Because down the road we may just reward one of you. You know, I, I got a couple Penn Station gift cards sitting in my wallet. Maybe we throw that up for grabs. I like that. I like that. Maybe what yeah, you get say? yourself a nice sub. First of all, we need a cult following. Of Queen City Chatter. We need the the hashtag going. We need a big cult following, and we need to get Jeff Ruby on board. Everyone needs to tweet at him. Hey, Jeff, go on QCC. Come on, Jeff. Let's see what you got. Yeah, just badger Jeff uh, Jeff Ruby on Twitter, and he'll, he'll definitely show up. Don't actually do that. We got a lot of way to go on this thing, but I'll tell you what. They say it's not Monday, but we'll give you some motivation Monday. They say take one step forward, just put a foot forward, and if you're not moving backwards, then you're moving forward. That that's, that's not always good, true. That's a good point. Well, it's not true because you could be standing still, but standing still ain't that bad as long as you're not moving backwards. And I'll tell you what, by buying this nice equipment and apparatus and stuff, even though we don't necessarily know how to use it yet and our podcast etiquette is not where it needs to be, we're going to get there. And we need you to subscribe, spread the word, toss it five stars, write a review. Help a brother out. Help brothers out. Two brothers. I I consider Charlie my brother at this point. Just trying to make a living in the podcast world. 
I mean, I don't. I'm unemployed. This is my full time job. I need these these subscribe subscribe immediately. Give it a five star. I mean, I don't really even get why I'm saying this. It should already have been done. Cincinnati is cursed. Awakenings Coffee not cursed. Cincinnati is cursed when it comes to their sports teams. There's no other way around it. In sequential order, Kenyon Martin's broken leg. A few years later, Carson Palmer has his ACL ripped off by Kimo Von Ollenheffer of the Steelers. They probably would have won that game. Everyone says that Martin's team would have won the national championship. I don't know, but they definitely would have made it to the Sweet 16, which instead they lost to Bill Self's Tulsa Golden Hurricane in the second round. Then, the meltdown against the Giants, a little more recent. We had a, Can you believe this? We had a celebration planned down at Fountain Square all three games. We won at AT&T Stadium twice. And three straight days, we had a celebration planned, and we never got to celebrate. Is that the most Cincinnati thing ever? They're like, well, what do we do with all these kegs? Well, Tom, I hope you like Heineken. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like a bold move being in this city and, and, and really putting anything in front of you and claiming we're going to celebrate anything unless it's already signed, sealed, and delivered. It's ridiculous. And then a few years later, I guess it's, yeah, a few years after that, the Musketeer meltdown in Bronson Koenig's three against Wisconsin so Xavier finally gets in on the action, and then we have this. The scaries that were accumulated Sunday will last for a long, long time. Those were the worst losses in Cincinnati history. Maybe not Xavier's, but I'll tell you what. Both those teams, Cincinnati against Nevada and Xavier against Florida State, both the teams that won were not better than the teams that lost. No, I mean... That those games, the first when I watched the Cincinnati game, I was I was really in disbelief. I kind of blacked out for the second half. I, I really don't even know. I did how too, we and I think a lot of people did. I, I was just sitting. It there. It just went from twenty two to a tie ball game, and I'm sitting there. I wasn't even drinking. It went just all the way. All of a sudden, I woke out of it, and Gary Clark was on the ground, and and it was over. Season was over. Um, the the neighbor next door is probably calling the the landlord on me because I was was cursing a, a tad bit, but you know that's neither here nor there. What blows my mind about it, it was on the same court in the same city back-to-back. Those but, guys walked out of like the same locker room. The Xavier guys are like, hey, keep your heads up. But deep down, they're probably pumped about it. Next thing you know. But you knew. You knew. I knew. I think you knew. Everyone. Murph Dog, who's in the room working on some tax forms, he knew too. I am telling you, everyone knew that Xavier was losing that game. I said it. I said it's the curse. They're better than Florida State. They're going to be leading all game. They're going to lose. They did. The thing is with Xavier, though, they, they went to the freaking Elite Eight last year, so I don't feel too bad for them. Um, I do feel bad for Luke Lamb and our buddy who almost went into a, a national meme for a second. He was... Uh, I thought he was... What do you mean? That new game? I yeah. thought that we were going to have his face on there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I didn't get as much joy out of Xavier losing as I thought I would after that loss that, that we that we uh, suffered. I thought I was going to get a little more happiness out of that. I really wasn't. I was just depressed and... Uh, I just frankly don't know why we live in Cincinnati. That was heartbreaking stuff, man. Heartbreaking weekend for our city. Where do we go from here? Um, I think we just um, you we know, have to sacrifice someone because we are cursed. Who are you thinking? I'll take I'll take one for the team. I, I, think I love that's this a, city. I think that's a great choice. I think you you take yourself. I out. love this city. I I absolutely won't for me. But you can do what you need to do. Bury I can me, join it. Bury me in like a bun coffin, cover me with chili and cheese. I'll just bury me in Skyline. I mean, yeah. I mean, the way I typically have dealt with these Cincinnati losses, 
Um, I, I usually handle it like any rational 24-year-old adult would um, over a basketball game that's decided by 18-year-olds. I usually spiral into a depression for two or three months, develop a, a severe drinking habit, um, shun all of my loved ones and anyone who's ever cared for me until I burn every bridge that I've ever had. So that's what I've been doing. Seems to be going pretty well so far. Well, right after the game, I walked back into my apartment. I was watching at a buddy's. I, I didn't know where I was at that point or who I was, what was happening. Like, like you said, I think a lot of Bearcat fans may have blacked out. ESPN gave him a 99.99% chance of winning. I'm kind of over the, the the ESPN thing of who the chances of them winning. So I feel like I've seen the 99 stat they like were three up or four 22 times. 22 with 11 minutes left, and we're a defensive-oriented team. Well, like, obviously, in the, obviously the damn machine or whatever didn't didn't account for the fact that it was literally in Cincinnati. It was a Cincinnati team. That should have literally never even seen a 99.9% chance of winning a game. Well, you talked about your rationality when it comes to coping with a loss i went home and ate four corn dogs i <laughs> made two in the oven and then yeah I, I was still hungry so i said hey forget it pop two more in yep pop two in the microwave had four was that the worst loss in cincinnati history for i mean we're speaking for a xavier fan and for cincinnati fans here i mean both of these teams had pass and had realistic expectations to get there. And if not now, then when? Because Xavier is not going to be as good next year. Cincinnati will not be as good. They'll both be formidable teams. But it was so open this year. We had it. I was planning a trip to San Antonio. I mean, looking at, we we will never, and that's a fact. I know at least speaking for UC, Xavier, they seem to have teams that, that make runs in the tournament for whatever reason, even if they're not a great team. We but don't. But they have the Final Four yips, too. They've they never do. been there. But we, we almost have the Sweet 16 yips at this point. We do. So it's a little bit different, but at least for UC, we will never have a better team with an easier path directly to the Final Four. It will never happen. I mean, we literally were going to play, you know, Sweet Sister Jane or whatever in the Sweet 16 in the... 98-year-old Loyola Chicago team. Don't sleep on them. I absolutely won't. They're pretty good. They're beating Nevada. Nevada or Nevada? I'll tell you what. That's what really screwed us in this game. When we were talking, we were whooping Nevada's can. We were taking Nevada to the shed, and then all of a sudden, we got Nevada. I I had I'd never thought about this before the, the game, that maybe we'd get Nevada first half and then get Nevada second half. We got Nevada for 30 minutes. You're right. It was damn near 30, 31 minutes or so. And uh, then Nevada came out and really showed what they can do. And we stuck our heads in our asses and didn't make a damn play for 10 straight minutes. And I will tell you what, I really take a lot of the blame for this game, for the way our season ended. Do you have the tech? Do you have the text up? I, I, almost, I literally up. forgot about that. I kind of took that out of my memory because that was one of the most you know, ridiculous and disrespectful, selfish things I've so, ever seen. So a group text with about 15 people in it. At one point, it was the fighting mix. It ended the season as the fighting Gary Clarks, 31-4, and four, technically 31-5, and five, but we're never going to switch that. We won that game. Come on. I texted everyone, can't believe you guys were worried about these idiots. We're 31-4. and four. A lot of disrespect towards our Bearcats from the public. Don't buy into it. We're nice. And who's the first person to respond? But Houdini, five seconds later, a lot of game left. Coach chimes in, chill Chuck. And they went on a tenor run about 10 seconds, and I felt terrible. The thing is, you didn't. If you continue reading, you go, chill out, guys. There's a 12 points. We're still up 12 points. And at that point, I could see it crumbling, the, the whole season crumbling before our eyes. 
Well, the thing about it is that team just forgot how to play basketball for the last 10 minutes. Nevada was hitting tough shots. Nevada, no, Nevada was hitting tough shots. They were 4-4 four, four, uh, to end the game from three-point land. So credit them for making shots. But at the same time, their defense was awful. And without Jaron Cumberland, we were a deer in the headlights. We were how Kyle Washington looks about 99% of the time. We just passed it around the perimeter. We were waiting for that game to end so we could get to the Sweet 16. We were vulnerable. They smelled the blood, and they attacked us like a wild hyena. Wild hyena, I don't hate that um, comparison. But, yeah, I mean, we we really just – it was honestly unbelievable. And, the, and those two uh, – the Twins finally turned it on for Nevada, and, and they started crushing us. I'm not even sure which one was – Maybe one of them had all their points. I, I have no idea. But one of them crushed us. And then you, you look at Xavier. Talk about a devastating way to send the seniors out. Trayvon Blewett, a guy that absolutely tore it up in the tournament last year and doesn't have off games often. He, he didn't do much of anything. And then Makura fouls out and has to watch the end of the game on the bench. When, at what point in that game did you think that Florida State had a chance? Because watching the entire first half – Midway through the second half, I was like, this Florida State team is just not very good. Well, I had actually vowed to not watch another a single tournament game after UC blew it, and then I saw the score was getting close. And so when they were down, I think six, Florida State was down six or so, I flipped it on, and then I saw um, JP got hosed on a couple calls. And when he went out, it, it blew it was non-existent. So at that point with JP out, Xavier was kind of screwed. And no one else really stepped up, and Florida just got, Florida State just kind of took over. At least we can agree on one thing, and I think the entire country can agree on this. Even if you're Marquette, even if you're Mississippi State, even if you're VMI, hey, at least we're not Virginia. I'm not even sure what UMBC stands for, so I, I don't like them either. So that's a flashback from our first podcast. Hudson says, I don't even know who UMBC is. And of course, they make history. Yeah, I should have seen that one coming. Uh, UMBC, who people forget, lost to Albany by 44 points, uh, beat the number one team in the country. They they destroyed them. They handled them. I mean, there wasn't even a question in the entire game. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, I guess I, I didn't give enough respect to UMBC, and I would still love to know. Um, I kept saying University of Maryland Boys Club or something. That can't be it, right? University of Maryland, Baltimore County. There's a county mm. thrown in there. Can you believe that? The, the county teams, man. We used to play some of uh, those county teams over in Kentucky. They're they tough. They can play. This year, more so than ever, I'm just constantly checking my sanity as this tournament goes on because I don't know what the hell is happening. UMBC plays Virginia. Two months earlier, they play Virginia in December. They lose by 40 points. Oh, no, absolutely. When March, when the calendar turns to March, something happens and, and teams just forget how to play basketball. Nevada shows up in the second half. It, it really, it's a crapshoot. So with that being said, we made some hot takes last weekend. Some went right, some went wrong. Right out of the gate, we'll both apologize to all Buckeye fans out there for saying that the Jackrabbits were going to win by double digits. That obviously did not happen, but that guy for South Dakota State, the big guy that could shoot all the threes. Dom. Dom. That guy's a beast. He reminded me of just a prototypical March player that no one knows about who ends up being a stud. I mean, he was incredible. 
That How, guy, Ohio State had to play a great game. They were raining to to beat them, but I mean that would have been that was a hell of a game. Well, the hot takes that went right. Obviously, you heard the one that went wrong. The biggest hot take Hudson said UMBC. I don't even know who they are, and of course they win. My biggest hot take was this one: Buffalo beats Arizona. The Bulls, the Bulls from the MAC, a little maction. They take them down. What do you say to that? I'll tell you this much. My team of the tournament every single year, I feel like, is New Mexico State. They've been in the tournament what seems like 19 straight years since I've been in about third grade. And every season, I fall into their trap, whether they have seven-foot-nine guy Simbular patrolling the lane or whoever it is. I always seem to think that New Mexico State, the Aggies, are going to make a run. I took them to the Sweet 16, beating Auburn in the second round. There they are, out first year again. So, New Mexico State, you guys suck. I'm done with you. I will never again pick you. If you make the tournament again, I'm sorry. You're not advancing in my bracket. Sounds like such a March team, though, doesn't it? I mean, I, I could see why you'd fall into that trap. One of these years, I feel yeah. like they're, they're just going to have that year. A, they're like a 12 or 13 every year. It's like, all right, New Mexico State, this is the season. Never. They stink. Hmm. They stink. We talked about in the last podcast how for the last five seasons, there's been a seven seed that has advanced to the final four, meaning that if you enjoy history like we do, big history, history major? I was not, um, but I, I wish I were. I, I really do too. I think there's a lot of benefits in being a history major. Many things you can learn from history. It's, it's often said. One thing that you could learn is take a seven seed going to the final four because more often than not, 80%, I like my chances. That's going to happen. So we looked at all the 7-10 matchups. We said, who is most likely to advance to the final four? And we both agreed on Texas A&M. And here they are taking down the defending champions. And they have a Michigan team that looked very beatable against Houston. Yeah, do not be shocked if A&M wins that game. They looked very good again. I mean, they just blew the brakes off of I mean of North Carolina. Well, A&M, you got to remember, at one point this season, they were a top-10 team. They have all the talent there. They were good last year. They returned a bunch of people. Robert Williams is a potential lottery pick. Tyler Davis, I don't know if he's a lottery pick, but he's a very good college center. Um, and then Hogue from the outside can shoot threes. Gilder has tournament experience. This is a team that you can't sleep on, and I think the winner of that Michigan-Texas A&M game is going to the Final Four because I don't think it's going to be the Zags this year. Well, I beg to differ. I think it'll be the Zags, but but yes, I, I like A&M to beat Michigan, um, and A&M was really good at the beginning of the year. Um, I actually knew a guy who took uh, West Virginia over A&M, the opening game of college basketball season. Um, about I think it was about minus five, I would say, put a large sum of his net worth on it. And uh, Is his name Houdini? Um, absolutely not. It was just a, a close family friend of mine who did that. And uh, A&M ended up beating the hell out of West Virginia. He's another Sweet 16 team. That really hurts. Speaking of Sweet 16 teams, we now pick four of them to advance because a couple of our teams are gone. Obviously, I had Virginia in the Final Four. That is now gone. You had Cincinnati in the Final Four that is now gone. Aside from that, I think we're good. Neither of us fell into Tom Izzo's trap or Sean Miller's sweaty trap that he places upon us every single season. Neither of us bought into that. Some taking them to lose earlier than others. I had TCU over Michigan State. Why didn't I not go with the orange? 
You got to go with the tournament teams. I, I hate Syracuse getting in and then acting like they deserve to be in just because they won a couple games. They play that bullshit zone with like nine seven footers and just are they're terrible. I hate Syracuse. They do I hate it every Bayon. year. I hate all of them. Why does the regular season even matter at this point? That's what I want to know. Why does a team like Cincinnati win thirty one games? To lose in the second round to a team that is clearly worse than them. I mean, regardless of what you think about Nevada or Cincinnati, if you watched any of that game, you realized that Cincinnati was the much better team at a very early point, and something happened towards the end, whether it's their coach didn't coach them the right way or the players just got the deer in the headlights look, something happened. It's called March, buddy. We know all about March. So the four teams you take go first. All right, I'll take um, – I'm going to have to – I don't know why. I definitely didn't think this was going to happen. You still go, got Villanova. Yeah, no, I'm going to go – I have three of mine still remaining. I got, I'm going to go with Kentucky, I guess, out at the south. Then I'll take Gonzaga from the west. Uh, Duke and Villanova, and that will round them out. So I really only have one of my teams out, but it happens to be my Bearcats. I've got Loyola Chicago. Sister Jean, this team is destined. They're 2-0 and against the SEC right now. They're beating Nevada. They're beating Nevada. Whichever team shows up, they're beating them in the Elite Eight matchup. I really do think they're going to beat Kentucky. And I think Kentucky's going to be at full strength. I think Jared Vanderbilt's going to be back. It's not going to matter. Sister Jean, that, that is a compelling point. But you just They went into Gainesville this year and beat Florida. People forget that. Yeah, Florida no. took down Kentucky twice. Huge fan of the transitive property. Yeah, I mean, that, there's a reason they were in 11 seed, which isn't you know too far out, out of the you know the realm of, of beating teams. But with Sister Jean, she actually in her own bracket uh, had Loyola losing in the Sweet 16, and uh, she's got a little more years of experience than you there, buddy. Yeah, now I, I did not know that, but now that I've heard it, I ripped that thing up. I'm gonna uh, go ahead and. Pick out a new bracket. Yeah, so I'll go with Kentucky there. I will go with Michigan, who I had from the get-go. Kansas, they stay. I don't like the Dukies this year for some reason. I trust my gut. My mom always said, trust your gut. So I trust my gut. I'm going to go with Kansas. And then I'm going to remain with the Red Raiders. Texas Tech, I think they have what it takes. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think Texas Tech stinks. But then again, they're still here. So I guess I, I can't hate on that. It's time for the news you need, brought to you by the reporters you want bringing it to you. It's freshly brewed by Awakening Coffee, and this is a fantastic story. We're down to six. Blockbuster Video, one of the most prominent video rental companies of our entire lifetime, is down to just six stores after shutting down another store, this time in the North Pole. I mean, who gives a shit about the Sweet 16? I'm worried about the final six blockbusters that is the north pole i saw this headline i'm like first of all the the north pole is a real thing my letters have been delivered to santa yes no i actually read at the, the little bottom of the article it actually said there was uh four thousand volunteers literally from the north pole that would respond to letters sent there that's incredible obviously it's a different north pole it's north pole alaska but it got me thinking that one blockbuster is still around, which is remarkable considering all the technological advancements we've had over the years and what Netflix has become. Who in the hell is hopping in their car in the snow in Alaska to go grab a DVD? I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me that I, I thought blockbusters were completely extinct. 
but uh, apparently they were at one point thriving um, out in Anchorage, Alaska, which is probably the only place that makes sense. Well, that's the thing. There's six blockbusters left in the world, and they're in two locations. There's four in Alaska, and there's two in Oregon. And two of the four in Alaska are in one city, Anchorage, which is the biggest city in Alaska population-wise, but there still aren't a lot of people there. Is that like their new slogan? Like, welcome to Anchorage, home of multiple blockbusters. Do they not have Wi-Fi in Alaska? Like, is it just that shitty of a place? They just don't have Wi-Fi to, to watch Netflix? And, and I don't know I'm anything gonna... about Alaska. I don't know much of anything about anything except how to podcast. Yeah. Hashtag podcasters. I think the best, like, you know, have your local bar around here that you go to. I, I literally think in, in Anchorage, like, people just hit up the blockbuster. Like, what are you doing Friday night? I'm just wrecking the blockbuster, hitting the popcorn machine, and, and grabbing a couple of Nick Cage films. It's buy, ten, it's buy 10, get 10 free. It's one of those nights. And guess what? They don't do late fees anymore. I think Blockbuster got rid of that. They're like, you know what? There's only six left in the world. We're getting rid of late late fees. Speaking of which, when it comes to that, were you a big Hollywood guy, Hollywood video? There was a couple Hollywoods around my house when I was growing up. Um, I would imagine they're down to zero. They they have to be. But the thing is, there's some family. Have you seen the family videos around here? There's family videos. I think it's got to be some type of um, money laundering scheme because there there's like multiple of them and they're huge. There was one in Athens, Ohio, where we went to school at Ohio University. I'm premier video. Right, that, that place. I'll tell you what. You into drugs? You go to Premiere yeah. Video. Oh yeah, we all knew that. My goodness, I had buddies that knew that, not me. Hollywood Video, though. I'll tell you what. We used to Pop and I used to love that place because Blockbuster. We had racked up so many late fees. I guess it just runs in the family. Had racked up so many late rental fees that they would no longer allow us to buy videos unless we chipped away at our outstanding balance so we'd rent a movie and they'd be like you got to pay at least three dollars to rent this and at a certain point pop said we're going to hollywood and then we started racking up the late fees there but it honestly is incredible about the i mean i'm gonna cut you off because if if you're anything like your father then blockbuster made a killing on late fees from your dad no because i'm pretty sure they shut their place down before they got any of the money well you know why they went out of business is because your dad wouldn't play pay his late fees i agree and i feel terrible about it because i really wish that certain nights in my life i could just not every night i don't want two stores in my small city i think my favorite um part of this this article though was just strictly the the guy um how sad people really are to see the blockbuster go and 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 this is just a quote, one notable North Pole resident, a man legally named Santa Claus, commented that he was, quote, sad that the North Pole blockbuster is closing, end quote. And well, that, one, that touched my heart. That guy is a hero. That guy is a legend. Anyone that goes through that, you got the Ocho Senkos of the world that are that are going out there, changing their name. They want some notoriety. They think it's funny, whatever. This guy was part of those 4,000 people that volunteered to respond to Christmas letters. He actually thinks he's Santa. <laughs> if you're changing your name to Mr. Claus, you don't have a wife, first of all. There's no damn way. There might be a Mrs. Claus. There might be a Mrs. Claus. Then she's delusional, too. I'll tell you what, that is one of the most ridiculous stories I have ever heard. We're down to six blockbusters in the world. Four of them are in Alaska. So if you're feeling nostalgic, you want to go rent a video... Hey, hop on a plane. Anchorage ain't too far. So no Bearcats, no Muskies, no Blockbuster, no Hollywood. Our only hope now for happiness 
is the Cincinnati Reds. And before we get into our next interview, it's with Tommy Thrall, our first guest on the podcast this season. You think he's coming back? I, I highly doubt it. Yeah, after we talk to him, I don't know if he'll be coming back. But Tommy Thrall, double-A voice of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. That's the affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds, so he's seen all the good guys come through. The bad ones, too. We'll talk to him in just a second. But first, some trivia that you can hold on to for the next couple minutes, and we will answer at the very end of this podcast. The question is, and it's a tough one, no way Houdini gets this one. Who's the only player to win a World Series in his final at bat in that game, lose a World Series in the final at bat of that game, and win a World Series MVP, and he did that each with a different team? Who is that? Tweet it. Actually, we don't have a Twitter set up yet. Shoot it to our email, queencitychatter at gmail.com, if, if you know the answer to that. Considering this isn't live, I, I, I keep shooting myself in the foot with this with this podcast. I'm so used to doing things live, and we can make things fun. Anyways, don't do that, because we're just going to tell you the answer after this interview with Tommy Thrall. It's Reds time, right after this. One of the staples of Cincinnati Reds baseball, some Reds fan by Freak Base. That's got to get you excited. And this has to get you excited, too. Our next guest on Queen City Chatter, Tommy Thrall, the double-A broadcaster of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Tommy, how long have we been in Pensacola now, which is honestly one of the best ballparks in all of minor league baseball? Yeah, not too shabby. I definitely think it's got the best view uh, in minor league baseball. But this is uh, we're embarking on our seventh season now. It's hard to believe. Seven seasons down there as we get an email in the background that is not important. Seven <laughs> seasons you've been in Pensacola. You, you call the games right there on the water. You've seen some fantastic prospects come through. Where does Nick Senzel <laughs> line up on that list? Well, uh, I've seen a lot of prospects everywhere, not you know, not just within our organization, but others I've worked with. And uh, Nick Senzel is one of the best, if not the best, pure hitter I've seen. Um, the thing that, that just kind of blew my mind last year as I watched him, and we only got to see him really maybe a third of the season. You know, it, it wasn't quite the half because he, he had that vertigo issue towards the end of the season. He didn't come up till the All-Star break. But he, he doesn't miss the barrel. I mean, every time he hits the ball, it's right off the barrel of the bat. I feel like he could have gone through that whole second half of the season just using one bat because of how much he squares it up. Uh, even if he makes an out, it, it seems like he's barreling everything up. And that was the thing that really stood out the most to me. He's a disciplined hitter. Uh, he didn't have any trouble making the adjustment. And, you know, some guys, they get better the, the, the higher you go uh, just because they're good hitters. They're smart hitters. They understand what a pitcher is trying to do against them. And I think he's going to be maybe that type of player. D.D. Gregorius was kind of that way. Uh, it seemed like every level he went, uh, just because of how smart he was, uh, it, it, hitting for whatever reason just got a little easier. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, guys that know what a pitcher is trying to do and can figure out what a pitcher is trying to do. Well, the higher you go, the more a pitcher is able to execute their game plan. So if you can figure out that, then you have a, a better idea what to expect. I feel like Nixon Zell is just kind of one of those guys. Where do you think his position in the majors will be down the road? That's a great question. I mean, I, I don't think by any means the the long-term deal and the extension of Eugenio Suarez locks him into third base at all. I You know, I, I think you'll see Suarez move 
Um, you know, I, I don't know that Peraza is the long-term answer at short. Uh, I think you'll see a change there at some point this season, whether that's Sinzel playing short or Suarez moving over. Uh, just got back from spring training, and, and kind of the feel I get is that it's more likely that Suarez will be the guy, if they have a need there, to move to short, and then Sinzel maybe keeps third. But then, you know, you read today that they, you know, sent Sinzel back to minor league camp to play second. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, but, but I, you know, it, wherever they put him, he's going to be able to perform, and he's going to perform at a high level. He's just a great athlete. Uh, he's got the, the build that will allow him to play short or third or second. He can, he can play any of those three infield spots. And like I said, he's going to be able to do it at a very high level. You know, he played short at Tennessee, and, and they were really happy with the job he did over there. So I think he can do it, and I think he can do it well. And he's, you know, a hard enough worker that, that – He'll work at it until he's great at it. I know Chuck had said that I don't know a, a damn thing about baseball, which is neither here nor there. I played a little knot hole, not too bad. Um, but uh, one thing I do like talking about is acting a little knowledgeable to my buddies about prospects coming up. And who's somebody that, that you would think that you know isn't a, a big name that you could see actually producing for the Reds uh, later down the road? You know, that's a, that's a good question. That's a tough question. Um, you know, because there's there's so many guys that have, that have come through, and and one guy that wasn't really highly thought of last year was Shed Long. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about him. There there was the you know the podcast that they were they were doing with him last year, C. Trent Rosecrans of the Cincinnati Enquirer. But that so that gave Shed quite a bit of exposure. But he's a guy that I really like the way he could play second base. So. So he's a guy I like now. It's hard to say that he's not a big prospect now because he's up to number seven MLB.com's rankings, but he really wasn't a huge prospect last year. Um, but I think a lot of times you have to look at, at, at pitchers when you look at guys you know that are maybe undervalued. Tanner Rainey's a guy that's you know lit up the radar gun in spring training and has had a really strong spring. He's a guy that's pitched well everywhere he's been. So he's a guy that I think you could throw in there. And uh, another guy that didn't get a lot of love because he's not a real hard thrower. He's a little unorthodox, but, you know, Jimmy Hergen. He's had a tremendous spring. I really liked watching him pitch when he was with Pensacola last year. He's very good at deceiving hitters. I mean, he's probably going to be a one-inning type guy, but he's a guy that can come in, change arm slots. He's not going to blow you away, but at the same time, you don't think he's going to blow you away, and then he runs a fastball up there in the low to mid-90s, and, and you're late on it just because of the deception he's got. So those are some guys that I would say kind of keep an eye on. But of the three, I really like Jimmy Herget. I and, think he's going to be a guy that's going to help a bullpen. I love Jimmy Herget, too, and here's what I love about him. Guys on the mound with specs. You go back to Eric <laughs> Gagne, Ricky Vaughn. Everyone with specs is phenomenal. He does rock those, correct? He does. Yes, he does. Now, the, the his specs don't have the same story as Cody Reed. By the way, I ran into Cody Reed at spring training, and I asked him if he's still using the same goggles that he had in high school. And he said he is, which blows my mind. Probably time to upgrade those, but uh, he, he's sticking with them. So, yeah, there's some guys up there. I don't know if you can have two guys in the big leagues that the specs at the same time. Tell me about Aristides Aquino. I saw him play last year. Kind of reminds me a bit of Willie Mopena, a slugger that's got a lot of power but struggles for average sometime. Well, Aquino's the type of guy that if he gets the uh, knowledge of the strike zone down and, and, you know, he had trouble with the breaking ball a little bit. He's got a long ways to go, but but sometimes guys like that, 
you know, if they make a small tweak, they can really do some damage. I think Aquino is going to be back with us again this year to start the season, if I had to bet. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see the adjustments he's made. He's obviously an exciting player because of the power, uh, but the strikeouts, I mean, he hit 17 home runs. He drove in 56 last year. He basically played every day, but he struck out 145 times. You can't get away with that. Um, so he's going to have to cut down on the strikeouts, and not just a small amount. I mean, he's got to make significant strides and cut down drastically on the strikeouts. And if I remember right, it didn't change a whole lot first half to second half. He struck out a lot regardless, and uh, that's something, like I said, that, that's got to that's gotta be ironed out. If he can do that, all right, then, then he's a guy that can really give you something in the outfield. He's got an excellent arm. In fact, he's got one of the best arms you will see. I mean, that thing, it's almost worth coming to the ballpark to watch him try to throw out a runner because it is unbelievable. Uh, that's even more impressive than his power, which he'll hit some pretty impressive home runs. So yeah, he's an intriguing prospect, but he's got a lot of things to figure out with his swing first. All right, Tommy, I gave you my guy was uh, Chris Heisey. I was a big fan of, uh, who are some of the guys that you liked uh, coming through the system uh, that played for the Wahoos? Some you know, of your one favorite of my, players. One of my favorite. I mean, we talked about Nixon Zell. I think he's he's probably number one. I loved watching D.D. Gregorius. Um, I, I, I'm kind of fond of infield play as a whole, and watching him at shortstop was just remarkable. Didn't know he was going to become the hitter that he became, but you, you, you knew he was going to field his position. Um, so that's been really fun to continue to kind of watch his career uh, and, and really, he's doing a lot in the big leagues like we saw him do in double-A. Pitching-wise, um, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more out of Tony Singrani in the big leagues, especially with the Reds when he was with the organization because he was one of my favorite pitchers we had come through. He was absolutely dominant. And then, you know, you look at some of these guys we've had lately. Tyler Malley uh, threw the perfect game. That was probably my favorite baseball game I've ever witnessed. Uh, I, I don't know that I'll ever see a pitching performance better than that. Uh, it was just stunning. Every time he took to the mound, I, I always felt a little more focused, a little more locked in on what we were doing just because he was so good day in and day out. You knew what you were going to get. And and I know this is high praise, and I'm not trying to compare him to Greg Maddox, but it had that feel when he was on the mound. I remember you know, when I was younger, if Greg Maddox was pitching and he was on TV, I wanted to watch that game. I wanted to watch him pitch. Tyler Malley had a lot of that in him. Anytime he was on the mound, you really wanted to watch what he did. Uh, he was a craftsman on the mound, and, and I think he's going to continue that in Cincinnati. So those are a few guys that I've really enjoyed uh, coming up to the you system. You expect Malley and, uh, to be up this year? I think Malley's going to start the year in the rotation, to be completely honest. Uh, I'd be a little surprised if he didn't. He's had an excellent spring. I uh, saw him pitch while I was down in Arizona, and he was outstanding, just like you expect him to be. He's a guy that pitches a contact, and because of that, he doesn't throw a ton of pitches. He'll be able to pitch deep in the games. He's a guy that can give your bullpen a rest. Uh, he's deceptive. He's a bulldog on the mound. There's just so much to like about him. He's not really going to overpower you, but if he needs to reach back for a mid to upper 90s fastball, he can do it occasionally, but he's not going to light up the radar gun all night long because he doesn't have to. So uh, a lot of those uh, aspects are what I like about him and what I think will make him a good major leaguer, and I think you'll really start to see him make that progress this year, and I think you'll see it uh, to start the season in that rotation. And before we let you go, just kind of bouncing off that, uh, for some of the degenerate gamblers at home, I'm looking at the Vegas Insider right now. It's got him at 73 and a half. What are you doing, over or under? <laughs> 73 and a half. I'm, 
Hey, why not? Roll the dice. Go over. Let's, I love let's it. have some fun. I'm holding you to it. <laughs> let's do it. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely. You can follow Tommy Thrall on Twitter, at Tommy Thrall. He makes it easy for you. He's the voice of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. That's the AA affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds. Hey, Tommy, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Enjoyed it. All right. Take it easy. So Reds baseball, that's right around the corner. Really the only thing we have to look forward to at this point, and I don't want to talk full-blown Reds yet because I'm just not over that Cincinnati game. I'm sure Muskie fans out there are not over that loss, and I don't know if I ever will be. It's the most devastating. I remember as a kid crying in my pop's arms as he's driving me to the Home Depot because we finished the game. And, of course, as a punishment to already the worst loss of my life as a one seed to UCLA in 2002, he says, we're going to the Home Depot. What more could a young child like? Crying in the car the entire time. Didn't want to get out because I was so upset. This this loss is it's going to sting. It's never going to not sting until this team wins a championship. And let's get real at the rate we're going in our lifetimes. We better find a new team. I mean, when you were talking about you as a kid, did you, you obviously saw that one kid who was uh, probably what, 10 years old. I was always uh, crying as a kid when, when you see lost all the time. And, and it sucks because this kid's going to probably grow up to be me and, and pretty much be a failure. Cause the Bearcats just instill a culture of just failing, just, just getting to the top and failing immediately. And that's well, what I hate about it the most. Let's not just put this on the Bearcats. Let's put it on the entire city. We stink at just about everything. And, and the outsiders think we stink too. They laugh at our chili. They think it looks like dog crap on spaghetti. They laugh at the way we talk. They laugh at the way we walk. They laugh at everything. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you one thing. We're together in this misery. Our sports teams suck. We know it. But one day we're going to win. And when we do, it's going to be a hell of a celebration. We're going to be like uh, Sister Jean, all about 98 years old, and, and people will just kind of parade us around. Just basically is what they do. They We're just puppets. Go, wow, look at how old this person is. This yeah. person has never experienced any joy. Because actually, come to think of it, Loyola Chicago beat Cincinnati, I believe, in the 63 National Championship. So Sister Jean was probably, you Not know. Not bad. Yeah, she was probably... Uh, Around? She was still about 60 at that point. I mean, she's like 140 right now. Um, but Sister Jean probably had a little pep in her step back in 63. One thing left to do, and that is give you the answer to our trivia question, which of course was who won a World Series in the game's final at bat, who lost a World Series being the game's final out, and who won a World Series MVP doing it with all different teams. We'll give you a little hint he played for the Reds at one point, actually the final year of his career, but unfortunately that hint's not going to do you much good right now because we're giving you the answer. The answer is Edgar Renteria. Yeah, he won a World Series with the San Francisco Giants where he was named MVP. He hit a walk-off base hit with the Florida Marlins, and he also recorded the final out as a St. Louis Cardinal. Spread that to your friends. Nice little trivia question I don't think anyone got it right. I, I checked. I just checked the email um, that we, we had said to send it to. No one had uh, got it right. We got a ton of responses, but no one actually you know nailed that question correctly. But that's going to be a good nugget to take home. Yeah, man. I saw an Andrew Jones on there and Andres Galarraga. I saw a uh, Gary Sheffield, but mm-hmm. no Edgar Renterias. So that's it. Well, Houdini, any final thoughts today? 
I got nothing. I'm still brain dead from the weekend, man. That is one of the toughest pills to swallow, and it's never going to get any easier. Xavier, Cincinnati, both out in the NCAA tournament after just one week. Arguably their best teams in school history for Cincinnati, maybe dating back to the 60s at least in the last 15, 20 years. None of them will be playing in the second weekend. Meanwhile, Loyola, Chicago, Nevada, Kansas State, they will be. For Mr. Houdini, I'm Chuck. This is Queen City Chatter. Once again, subscribe to the podcast right now. We'll have plenty more. Toss us a follow on Instagram at Queen City Chatter. Have yourselves a great day.